Director General, Your Excellencies, distinguished guests, dear friends, young and old, I think it is useful for us for a moment to just pause and take in not just the passion and the energy, but the truth of what we have just heard. And the truth is so important. Let's be I might, in the remarks I have to say, say something that is more difficult in a way. It is so important to be truthful and seek to understand all of the influences and all of the assumptions that have brought us to the crisis that we are now our interacting crisis. The speaker who has just left the podium has spoken about nature. At the beginning of the myth of progress in the European system, a leading philosopher wrote, I lead to you nature and her children in bondage for your use to gouge out her secrets. That philosophical idea, because behind all the bad practices are justifying bad ideas and justifying silences. That's why I am honored that the speech you have just heard prefaces what I have to say. This week, as we have gathered here at the World Food Forum in the headquarters of the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations in Rome, we are discussing the necessary transformation of our agri-food systems. We must be conscious not only of targets missed or imperfectly achieved, but of the need for courage and the need to generate new capacity move to new models of better connection between economy, social protection, social justice, and ecology. We are confronted, yes, with the climate and biodiversity emergency that cannot be handled by the tools that have produced their architecture of how decisions have been made before and that have brought us to our present position. We are called upon to once and for all tackle with energy, yes, certainly, but with sustained effort, understanding, and innovation, the vicious cycle and connections of global poverty and inequality, global hunger, debt and climate change. These are our interacting crises. And indeed, it's important to realize that sustainable food systems are in the mix of all those interacting crises. That is the context in which sustainable food systems must be achieved, addressing all of these contributing factors. And I ask you, indeed, all of you gather today to respond within your capacity and within your generation in a way that includes all generations to the challenge that has been set out to us by the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez. In his recent statements, which are getting more urgent by the, in every statement, and this is how he put it, 
the Sustainable Development Goals aren't just a list of goals. They carry the hopes, dreams, rights and expectations of people everywhere in our world of plenty. Hunger is a shocking stain on humanity and an epic human rights violation. It is an indictment of every one of us that millions of people are starving in this day and age. We have had so many broken promises. Only 15% of some 140 specific targets to achieve the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are on track to be achieved. Many targets are going in the wrong direction at the present time, and not a single one is expected to be achieved in the next seven years. It is why my previous remarks this week, I spoke about the importance of authenticity and of what happens when words lack authenticity, and it is construed correctly as bad faith. Let us decide too, in being positive, that it can be put right. But putting it right means we must change, and there is work involved. Work involved in upskilling. Work involved that will require patience. Work to achieve the capacity not only to critique the assumptions of the failing models, but be able to put new basis for the replacement models which must come in their place. And that is when I was asked for this morning to speak particularly in mind with young people. This work will require patience and it will require deep understanding. And when you're coming to meetings too, not just to be allowed to allow your name to be added to the list, but come as somebody extra empowered because you have done the work on the alternatives and there is everything that you understand that you cannot afford to be left out because you are not just an attendee you're a partner in the policy making we have some reasons to be hopeful and when i have looked around the room and see so many young people who have enthusiasm and energy and creativity needed to tackle the serious structural causes of food insecurity and global hunger Beyond the energy and the enthusiasm, there is a time at my stage of life, you say, how did you use it? And did you use it for the, ex the excitation or distraction of life or to make a contribution to life and to make the changes that are urgently needed? I have faith that young people are going to dig deep and have the patience and do the study and will make the demand to be partners in policy making rather than tolerated attendees. It is important too to recognize that young people are not alone in seeking authenticity of words that I've spoken of delivered into actions that have an ethical outcome. There are those who have spent their lives seeking a fairer, different world, ones in which hunger would be eliminated as it can be, and we must recognize their efforts. Theirs was not a failed utopian mission. We must work together to harness this collective energy and creativity and turn it into strong movements that will deliver, finally, a food secure world for us all. And it will suggest, as I have said, require something else too, moving to a new culture 
of sharing information, experiences, insights. Indeed, as the cuts have suggested, great cooperation between the three major organizations. I think this will have the effect, I think, of developing a new post-silo culture of sharing insights. And I see the FAO and IFAD and the World Food Programme as giving a, a lesson in this, in their visit, for example, to South Sudan. All of the efforts must have the character of inclusivity. Each of us as global citizens has a responsibility to respond. To ignore it would be a dereliction of our duty of care to our shared planet and its life forms, including our fellow humans and future generations. And it was not accidental that Pope Francis, in one of his more important statements, said that the greatest danger is the danger of indifference. And we have been, as a world, guilty of indifference. The Secretary-General's pleas in relation to the consequences of climate change are given a further terrible reality in the increased threat of hunger a food insecurity which is directly affected by the impact of climate change. The figures published by the FON of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations tell us that 26.2% of Africa's population experienced severe food insecurity in 2021, with 9.8% of the total global population suffering from undernourishment in the same year. We will not be able to be for real in all of this unless we embed our global economies and national economies in social responsibility. It is time for us all, as leaders and global citizens, to take stock of how words are leading to actions to increase the urgency of our response to what is little less than a grave existential threat. It is clear, as the Secretary General's powerful statement shows, that we need to begin the work of reform in the international institutional architecture, such as the United Nations reform at the highest level, including the Security Council and the Bretton Woods institutions, if we are to achieve what the Secretary General has suggested is the challenge to turn a year of, to turn a year of burning heat into a year of burning amb ambition. Let us, I think then, share purposes projects, resources, seek a new culture of our systemic solutions. How realistic is it for us to give hectoring lectures to, for example, to the South from which you have just had? If they are required to spend more on servicing debt than they are able to spend on education, or in fact on good environmental policies. Those of us who have spent much of our lives advocating UN reform believe that its best prospects are in the growing acknowledgement of the importance of the vulnerabilities and frustrated capacities of the populations of the lot of the, of the world. Not only nominally, but effectively, through a reform that includes reform, as I've said, of the Bretton Woods institutions. And yes, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund cannot stand as contradictions to everything that the world has decided is necessary for existence itself. We have to acknowledge that the development models of the 50s and 60s 
were part of the assumptions that brought us to the crisis through which we're living. And that's what I mean. The work has to be done. It is easier to confront leaders than it is to confront the bad economics. But you must come to understand the bad economics and you must be able to, to, to replace it. And I think the good news is that a new epistemology, by which I mean our way of looking at the world, one of sufficiency and sustainability, is emerging and gaining strength and we, we must all be with it. I think in Ireland ourselves, for example, good work by, by scholars such as Padre Carmody in his book Development Theory and Practice in a Changing World, they're showing that in fact it is possible to see where the fault lies and it is also possible to get to a new place. I think myself that I like to call this a new emerging globalization from below. A globalization from below retains all of the connections but recognizes that the aim is the vulnerabilities, the weaknesses, the shortages, the necessities that are there. Whereas a globalization from above, which has been largely unaccountable, has in fact damaged democracy in the same way a globalization from below can develop, sustain and encourage democracy. I think that development theory has changed. Most of us, we studied this, we were students, and some of us were postgraduate students, listening to the doctrinaire, six volumes from the Princeton University, that in its day told us how we should learn about the backwardness of our own people, and how we should see their backwardness as disadvantages, and how we could be just like that industrialized world that has in fact ended in a way that's delivered us a burning planet. I think this the most power, I think the demise of hegemonic development theory and practice may be a result of several factors such as the rise of ultranationalism around the world, the increasing importance of securitization. And as you heard the previous speaker speaking of freedom, she redefined it, but also she was speaking about security is not the greatest security to be secure from hunger and to be secure from exclusion. The hand-in-hand -hand initiative of the FAO, which we have been discussing this week, is a most welcome initiative, aiming to raise incomes, improve the nutritional status and well-being of the poor and vulnerable populations, and strengthen resilience to climate change. It is heralding a belated recognition of the insufficiency to of reactive emergency response that doesn't go on to look at the structural basis of repeat crisis. So therefore I say to the impotent, dig sufficiently deep to achieve, to achieve the information that you need to be real participants and to make the changes. I think that they are right, I think as well, eh, to demand that participation rather than toleration. Hand-in-hand of the FAO recognizes the importance of special tailor-made interventions in food security using the best available evidence in the form of spatial data, validated on the ground through local diagnostics and policy process to target the most food insecure, the most hungry, the poorest. It recognizes that context-specific employment and labor market policies are part of the sustainability challenge. 
I believe that the evidence from below is crucial to achieve the globalization I speak of. And I believe it can be achieved by a reintroduction of a new recasted form of anthropology, guided by, among others, the new African scholars now available, whose work is empirical and peer tested. Back in 1955, the FAO published a document called Fact Finding with Rural People. I used it in 1969 to 72 in remote areas in the west of Ireland. It told people how to construct a pie chart, what was the difference between the mean, the median and the mode. And we were in our second economic development plan and the people were able to face the experts at no literacy disadvantage. And in the same way, that is what I'm advocating for this new anthropology that will tell us how policies are working and being experienced by men and women on the ground is quite con is a reuse of that valuable insight in its day of the food and food and agricultural organization. Young people must be about upskilling to be able to critique all, all of the assumptions that are guiding the policies that will affect their lives. I have said as well too, there isn't any argument anymore about the need to change our institutional architecture. According to the 2023 Global Report on Food Crisis, with 258 million people across 58 countries suffering from acute food security. I think that the Hand in Hand project is of crucial importance. It actually celebrates the importance of partnership and collaboration in addressing global hunger. And we must do everything we can to ensure cross-sectoral coordination, foster coherent development actions under a common shared vision. We must end all wasteful competitive silo behaviors, create a culture of openness and cooperation, and the FAO, the WFA, the World Food Programme, and IFED have been giving a lead in this. How is it to be done? Cooperation in the development and implementation of new models will be key to the achieving of targets that seek to be sustainable and inclusive. I suggest it will be best achieve best results if funders such as the African Development Bank are enabled and funded to work closely with research institutes at the national and international level, would particularly take account of the field studies conducted over time at local level in the new anthropology, so as to ensure that findings from the latest research feed into the design and implementation of future financial supports and instruments. By providing a platform, a shared interactive transparent space for national authorities and producers, national and global businesses, multilateral development banks and donors to discuss and advance ways and means to finance the supported national food programs, initiatives such as Hand in Hand that are proving to be effective flagship programs of the FAO of the United Nations. And cooperation must work both ways. The parts of the so-called developed world suffering from problems of high level of obesity and food wastage must learn from the deep knowledge and wisdoms existing in the most populated continents, as well as the science, which points to a new ecological revolution 
in which agroecology, the bringing of ecological principles to develop new management approaches to agroeconomic systems, can play a fundamental role. We have seen the destructive impact of models of agronomy promoting an over-reliance on a small number of commodity crops for export. Herders incentivized to become less mobile, store less grain in order to maximize commodity crop production, increasing imports in conditions of near monopoly of seeds, pesticides, and fertilizers. 89 countries relying for more than 90% on their imported fertilizers. This has the deadly effect of opening up farmers not only to the full extent of extended droughts, the ravages of variable climate conditions, a reliance on non-indigenous inputs, and it also locks them into a global form of economy in which they have very little influence. We must retreat from all of this, promote food security and development opportunities for the poorest people on our planet. And research has shown, too, that irresponsible agribusiness deals are sometimes seeking to falsely legitimate their work by the promotion of alleged achievement of sustainable development goal number two at any cost, without care as to consequence, ignoring the reality that smallholders needing policies, need, needing policy, in, that food insecurity is linked to rights processes, unequal access to land resources, and that dispossession disproportionately affects women farmers. And women must have land rights. And on this latter issue of gender, achieving zero hunger requires gender inclusive, not just land, but labor policies. Actions must prioritize the inclusion of women and girls who are more food insecure than men in every region of the world. Women must have a right to land recognized and enshrined. The gender gap in food security has been growing exponentially, and it will only deteriorate further in the absence of targeted intervention. Women produce 80% of foodstuffs, and empowering women farmers can thus serve as a transformative tool for food security, and I suggest inclusion, education, and democracy. Female farmers have, research tells us, limited access to physical inputs, including seeds, fertilizers, tools, storage facilities, all of which must be, must be addressed. Climate change and our response to it is a core theme and will remain a core theme of my presidency in Ireland. It is our most pressing existential crisis on a vulnerable planet, one that our global citizens faces. Throughout the world, young people in the youth sector have been at the vanguard of efforts to draw attention to it, to, the, to our crisis, to tackle climate change. They've demonstrated time and again how well informed and acutely aware they are of the threat that climate change poses, as well as its uneven, as its uneven and unequal impacts. May I suggest to all of you that as young innovators and future leaders in your respective fields, that you will bet your best, achieve the greatest fulfillment for yourself and others when you locate your contribution, the energy of your life, within a commitment to be concerned and contributing global citizens. Take time to ask, 
How is my energy in the tasks at hand being delivered and for whom? And is it for universal benefit? And may I suggest too, that you will be remembered and appreciated all the more if you work to ensure that the results of science and technology are shared and that all human endeavors are allowed to flow across borders for human benefit of all and with a commitment to ecological responsibility and inclusivity. Offer your efforts, I suggest, where they can have the best effect for all of humanity. Locate yourselves in the heart of the populated world. I was so moved by a Nobel laureate for Ireland, William Campbell, who suggested that his research on river blindness should not be confined or patented. And it was delivered to Africa where it has eliminated global river blindness and is of this working now in South America. Changing our food systems is, however, let us not forget an intergenerational challenge that requires an intergenerational approach. We must now empower youth to be in the driver's seat to build a better transparent model of food security in a variety of different settings. Let us endeavor together in our diverse world to seek to build a cooperative, caring and non-exploitative global civilization, free from hunger, a shared planet, a global family at peace with nature and neighbors, resilient to the climate change that is already occurring, one based on foundations of respect for each nation's own institutions, traditions, experiences, wisdoms, and cultures, founded on a recognition of the transcendent solidarity that might bind us together as humans and reveal a recognition of the responsibility we share for our vulnerable planet and the fundamental dignity of all the forms of life that dwell on us. Mavuikas, thank you very much.